0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, How can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. My guest today is Mrs. Jenny Goldfarb, the founder of Unreal Deli, a company which calls itself the home to the world's finest deli meat, made from the best stuff on earth, plants. Made in small batches in Los Angeles, their debut product, Unreal Corned Beef, has become a staple at the iconic delis across LA and is coming to Whole Foods and some national sandwich chains next. If you are listening to this before November 17, 2019, be sure to tune in to the new episode of Shark Tank on ABC, where Jenny will be vying to entice one or more of the sharks to partner in her fast-growing business. In this conversation, we cover Mrs. Jenny Goldfarb's amazing journey so far, starting with her family background and how it inspired her food, to the launch of her blog and YouTube channel just around two years ago, and how the creation of one recipe led to the launch of her company, Unreal Deli. We talk about how she found a commercial kitchen and started selling her products to local delis in Los Angeles, like Cantor's Deli and Art's Deli. She now sells her products online and recently landed a deal with Whole Foods to sell a pre-made sandwich featuring Unreal Deli's meat in 58 Whole Foods markets in the Southern Pacific region. Unreal Deli is just getting started, but you will want to hear how Jenny grew her business in a few months while pregnant with her third child. It's a truly out-of-the-box, DIY, plant-based food entrepreneurship story, and Jenny's energy is infectious. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This is Jenny Golfarb. Thank you for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Oh, my great
2: pleasure. Thank you.
1: Let's start with uh, talking about your family and your family history.
2: Certainly. So, uh, like many Jews of America, mine emigrated from Eastern Europe. Nearly a hundred years ago, uh, my great grandfather came with uh, a handful of his ten brothers as a teenager, not speaking English, from Romania, and without his parents, as uh, so many of us here in America have stories of our families making extraordinary sacrifices in order for us to get here and be listening to beautiful podcasts like these. Um, And so when he came over, life wasn't easy. And so he had to get an initial job. And his first job was at a Lower East Side deli as a dishwasher. Of course, there weren't actual dishwashers as we know them today. So those were human jobs. And... uh, and he washed dishes. And like the classic American dream, he worked his way up from washing dishes to coming to own and operate several New York City delis and cafeterias were also a big popular thing at the time. And so corned beef and pastrami and those classic Jewish deli meats were kind of in my lineage and uh, and, and were very much on the, my tables growing up.
1: So were you always interested in, in food and, and cooking? Was that a big part of your life uh, over the years?
2: Interestingly, as a, about a 10-year-old, a, a school project, I said, when I grow up, I want to be a cook. But uh, following that, that seemed to fade away. I, <laughs> I attended a business school at George Washington University, undergraduate, that is, and uh, and got different jobs in, in the tech sectors. And uh, and I, as a young mom, I was doing just random jobs to be able to uh, pay for my kids' preschool here and there, a little... Little things, but um, but it, I, I kind of lost my passion for food until I became vegan.
1: So when did that happen?
2: Uh, so about five years ago, I uh, I had one vocal friend on Facebook. It only takes one. I'm not that vocal friend, to be honest. And and that one vocal friend started pushing out some video content. And I like to claim that the beginning of this whole this whole beautiful business that we're we're creating here started with my bravery and willingness to one day click and see what's actually happening to farm animals. It can't possibly be as bad as I can imagine. And of course, as you know, listening to this podcast, and you know, Nil, it's it's way worse than we could have ever imagined, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like when you started to eat plant-based, um, you kind of rediscovered this passion for uh, for food. Is that, I guess, an well, easy way to describe it?
2: Right? It is an easy way to describe it. So uh I- Once I had this realization that I could no longer keep eating the food that I was most familiar with and what I really knew how to put together, uh, I realized that I needed to start recreating my meals from the produce and grain section in the grocery store, uh, but I really had no knowledge how to do that. And I had a meat and potatoes husband and two toddlers, and all they wanted was chicken and cheesy stuff and the opposite of where I was going. So... I I had kind of like a little fire under my tail to be able to make good food and fast. And it was nice to have that motivation because it pushed me hard to make things delicious and quickly. And what I wound up doing as sort of my first leg of this journey was I created a food blog called Count Your Colors. And every week, my husband would film myself with my two daughters on the countertops helping and creating a new plant-based recipe each week.
1: And that was not even that many years ago, right? You're talking about, like, what, three, four years
2: ago? Or Actually, even just about two years ago. That was, that was how that went on for about a year. We did about 40 videos in that year, you know, everything from, like, you know, chicken nuggets to mac and cheese to, you know, whatever you can sort of imagine to comfort foods to be able mm. to veganize them. And it had a little following and a tiny distribution deal. But really, I credit that with leading to my, to my next yeah, and we were
1: talking about this before, uh, and I must say, before we even got started, I was eating uh, while you were talking, <laughs> and uh, and and thoroughly enjoyed the sandwich that you gave me. But we'll get into Unreal Deli soon. But I just wanted to make a quick point about the the fact that you started off a blog just two years ago, uh, and and try to get your passion for plant based cooking out there. Uh, two years ago, there were. Oh, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but indefinitely, I would say at least 50,000 blogs right. uh, or more sure. focused on vegan food and all kinds of YouTube channels. So you entered this space not at a time when this was uh, a novel. it was a novelty, right? right. There's the, the, we are at the height of plant-based vegan mania at the moment. And the reason I mentioned that is because uh, that when I learned that part of your story, it was, it was surprising because... Here you are, less than two years later, and now you are in the food business. And so it seems right. like such a, like a rapid leap. And I think what you said—you started then, it led to. Maybe that wasn't exactly all you imagined it could be. Right. But if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing um, today. So, with the blog, is, is is that and the YouTube channel, is that when you started to experiment with recreating deli meats? Like, when did you start? connecting the dots back to your roots.
2: Yeah, so um so basically for this food blog, I needed to come up every week with a new very cool, interesting, novel I thought recipe. And so I said to myself after a while there are a lot of ways to make vegetables delicious and there are certainly a lot of plant-based delicious burgers on the market and hot dogs and sausages but there's no really good authentic New York style deli meat. I'm talking corned beef, I'm talking pastrami. And so I set out to recreate it, which I thought was just going to be another weekly recipe. I was not thinking I was going to come up with with a whole business here. Um, But what wound up happening was, First, it was very labor intensive to make this recipe. And I thought to myself, well, I don't know if, you know, an everyday mom is going to be able to take, you know, this is not something that can come together in 20 minutes, like many of the other recipes I like to share. And then I had some folks in my life who thought that I was a little bit of a crazy hippie for eating this way, having my kids eat this way, such as my in-laws and some other people in my life. And when they started tasting it and they said, this is really delicious, my in-laws were like, this is not just a recipe. This is a business. But I thought to myself, I don't know anything about the food business, and I'm a busy mom, and I have enough going on. Um, but I took some uh, some play, you know, some some moves out of my uh, my great grandpa's playbook, and <laughs> kind of learned everything on the job.
1: Yeah, and just so that anyone who hasn't, um, I, I mean, we have all kinds of people listening to this podcast. Some people, you know, maybe eat have eaten pastrami lately, and some have never tried pastrami their whole life. Right. Uh, all corned beef. I have my own history with, uh, with pastrami and corned beef. When I uh, moved to New York in the early 2000s, um, and I remember I got my first job um, out of law school uh, in New York, I would eat pastrami sandwiches literally every day for lunch. <laughs> it, it, was, it was so good, but it was also so bad for sure. me at the same time. And I loved it. I, I discovered and I, dis, and I lived in the Upper West Side and I had Artie's Deli right next to where I live, down, down the block of where I lived, And I would go there and eat these giant sandwiches <laughs> that stacked with, with, with too much meat, almost sure. much more than one human being probably For needs sure. to have in a sandwich. Um, so it is, you know, just so that someone who doesn't know what corned beef or pastrami is, what is it and why is it different from Italian deli meat?
2: Well, it's it's really the classic, the quintessential Jewish deli meat. Uh, it's made with a very complex spice blend. Oftentimes, it's smoked uh, in, in in traditional circumstances, and it just has this very uh, incredible savory, salty. Sometimes, a spice blend to it that's really uh, distinguishable from, from other kinds of deli meats.
1: And it really kind of originated with, uh, as you said, with in some ways your great-grandfather coming to to New York. It, it happened because of Eastern European immigrants into New York City who started making, who suddenly had access to beef and were using their cured meat recipes to make pastrami and meat. So it's interesting, I mean, it's funny to talk about the history of a meat product, but yeah. It's always good to know where it came from because what we're doing, what you're doing now, is reinventing it, yeah, uh, for for this new world where we we obviously should not be consuming stacks of beef of uh, if we really care about our health or the planet or the lives of animals. So that's right. Uh, so you came up with this great recipe, which. You know, if I had a penny for every person who came up with a great recipe who was like, maybe I could turn it into a business, I would be super rich right now. (laughs) Sure. Because you keep hearing about every blogger has got some amazing recipe. And especially in the last six, seven years, there's been this growth of um, plant-based brands and this explosion of interest in this space. Everyone thinks, well, maybe, you know, maybe I can become the next next Beyond Me. So what made you not stop from taking the next step so what made Thank you take you. the next Thank step you. and not listen to all i'm sure as much as you were getting encouragement from your family yeah. there must have been people going as you kind of did right. say that like you don't know anything about the food business that's
2: right absolutely um so you know I, I believe in this this kind of message of like put the messy version out like just see throw something out there and see what comes of it and so i uh I got word that there was a tiny, tiny commercial kitchen smaller than my own home kitchen that I could rent for $25 an hour out in Thousand Oaks, California. And uh, in that space, I could make a product, at least a tiny batch of it, that I could potentially sell. So I... I, I found out about this person through the food blog. I, I'd been interviewed by Jane Velez Mitchell a couple of times. So I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with that name. And uh, and her assistant put me in touch with this person who had this tiny commercial kitchen and said, check it out. Maybe they can give you some consulting or something. And when I went there to meet, it, it was kind of also, let me just say that uh, just the idea of like, you know, maybe there's someone who can offer something who is willing to meet with you. So sit down with them and pick their brain. You don't know where that's going to go. And so... This woman, Rosanna, who, uh, whose kitchen this was, who has a, a fabulous vegan food brand herself called Rabbit Whole Foods, sold in Whole Foods and other places. She said to me, uh, you know, I, I met with her what I thought was just going to be a little consulting session. I have this food business idea. And she said, I have an actual kitchen here. It's 25 bucks an hour. Come on in. So I... I started learning about how to come into a commercial kitchen space, which is different than your own home kitchen and lot codes and batch codes and all sorts of specs that are needed in terms of running an actual commercial operation, even if it's tiny. And so, uh, I went there and I started, you know, sweating bullets, making what I thought were large batches. These were like 12 batches of these two and a half pound logs, we call them, and, uh, and so my first stop was at our local Jewish deli here in Studio City, California, called Arts Delicatessen since like 1951, I believe. And I went in one day and I sat down with the owner for a brief moment. And uh, and I said to him, here, please try this. Tell me what you think. And he said, wow, it's quite delicious. And he said to me, you do have food liability insurance, right? <laughs> and I'm like literally under the table Googling what's going on here. What is this? So when i say learning everything on the job very literally that was taking place um but he after i got my food liability insurance he said to me my customers would really love this we make a vegetarian Reuben now which is just vegetables i said all right <laughs> we're getting you this product and so that was my first sale
1: that's a that's a good place to start that yeah. too right so um and so when they tasted this, did they? Um, of course, you're they're in the deli business, so they right. they know good uh, cured meats. So that was my uh, goal.
2: Like I, yeah. I said to myself, if this can sit side by side with the kings of corn beefs, corn beef, mm-hmm. then it can go anywhere. So I, I thought to myself, if I can sell the big iconic delis of, of Los Angeles, then I can bring this the masses
1: and so uh, let's take a bit of a step back on the product itself yeah. you said you had come up with this recipe and um, so what is it made of and what makes it so unique without giving away the secrets okay of course. so
2: um it isn't gluten-free I'm sorry to admit although one day it may be so there is that high protein wheat ingredient which I really love because it's it really kicks ass in the protein department it doesn't kill you in the carbs department if you have celiac disease you can't have it but really the the ingredients that I that I love that go into this we use local organic beans in every batch, there's uh, tomatoes and chickpeas and uh, a very complex spice blend. Literally, about I think it's ten or twelve spices that go into this.
1: Yeah, because it has a very unique flavor. Um, yes. Like I've eaten products made with uh, wheat protein, and to get the flavoring right is is really important. Otherwise, the products can taste pretty pretty bland. Agreed. But I tasted your sandwich, and it was it was delicious, and Thank and you. it was the perfect bread too. So. Um, So it sounds like you were off and running, you you got into this one deli, and so now you you had a food business.
2: Yeah, uh, to to, to my surprise. So then uh, I started, uh, my decision was I was going to try and get it into about a half a dozen delis in Los Angeles. And once I did that, I wanted to get to kind of what I called tier two, where it was going to be maybe a restaurant chain with a number of locations and then kind of grow from there. So... So after I went to Arts Deli, I got myself a meeting at Factors Deli and a few others around town. And uh, I'd say eight times out of 10, I'd sat down with a deli owner, not 100% of the time because not everybody was ready for the new wave of eating, but 80% at least when they took a bite of it, they said, great, drop drop off the first batch. I mean, it freezes for six months, so it wasn't a very big commitment if they didn't go through it so quickly. Um, And then my... One of the biggest spots that I really pride myself on is that we got into Cantor's Deli, which is the largest deli by far in Los Angeles. It's a huge space on Fairfax Avenue. It has like almost 6,000 Yelp reviews and they're the biggest of the big. They're open till 2 a.m. every night. And previously I was dropping off 15 pounds, 20 pounds. And when I sat down with Mark Cantor, he goes, great, drop off 50 pounds next week. 50 pounds, my mind was blown. How am I even going to make 50 pounds? Anyway, so uh, that was big for us. But then really the real testament was not just that I as a nice girl could sell them sitting in front of them but the question is were there going to be reorders were they actually going to come back and say you know we've sold all of these and we need another batch and so uh I'm so delighted to say that did take place, and we've been, you know, sustaining many reorders now at Arts and Factors, Izzy's, and and a number of others, and uh, and Cantor's. There were so many reorders to the point that Mark Cantor said to me, "We're going to be redoing our menu, and we're going to put you on the permanent menu." I thought, okay, great, but they sold 200 sandwiches. We'll have one little piece of the whole menu, and I found out that they put us front and center on this new permanent menu. So clearly. <laughs> Veganism is the wave of the future, even in the these old school delis.
1: It really illustrates where we are right now in in the food space and in terms of this cultural revolution that's happening when it comes to vegan food. Yeah. Because um, what you did was you did what you knew to do and you did it well. And you weren't trying to be something that you were not. Right. And you picked like you found a little white space that no one was providing a product in. Yeah. Everyone's out there trying to develop the next big plant-based burger or oh, milks and cheeses. Of you could have probably gone in any of those directions if, if you were trying to follow trends. Yeah. I don't think you were necessarily following trends. You, I mean, it was simple calculation. People eat deli meat. Delis exist. If people are eating more plant-based food, they probably want to eat it no matter where they go. If there was a, a plant-based corned beef on the menu, people would probably try it. How is so? How long have you been in these delis, and and what is the feedback you're getting from them about their customer base and how those relationships sort of built over the last year or so?
2: It's been really remarkable, to be honest. Um, uh, my first sale there at, at Arts Delhi that was back in March, and then by May we got into cancers. Of course, right now we're recording this podcast here in October, so it's only been really a handful of months. And uh, and you know, all of these accounts they they bring in. You know, anywhere from like, you know, 800 to $2,000 a month in revenues. And so when it's it's constant reorders and, uh, you know, I open up my Instagram almost daily to see someone posts a new photo or, you know, Veg News did a piece on us not long ago. There's just a lot of excitement about, you know, vegan foods taking on, you know, parts here in, in places that otherwise didn't have anything close to it you know I, I one of our first little slide decks that I put together for our company I had a picture of of a, like an, an old school deli it was a black and white shot and I was saying the same food that was served there in the 1930s when this photo was taken is the same food that's served today so this was clearly some a, a place that really needed uh, some modernizing
1: in your conversations with cantors and others for example um, did they tell you why they picked you and were they getting pitched by others at the same time? Because I, I frankly have not tried a sandwich like yours, um, pastrami tasting meat before. Right. So for me, it was a first and, and I've been eating this way and looking for pastrami like products for since I've been vegan. Okay. Uh, because I missed the early 2000s when I was overdosing on them. <laughs> um, and now, of course, I have a solution. But what did they tell you is the reason why they picked you?
2: You know, I didn't really hear that there were others necessarily competing for this specific space on their menus, but um, I mean, I like to think that I'm a, a nice and compelling salesperson, a nice <laughs> person, a nice woman, but uh, but I think really the, the taste is really what spoke for itself, and that's what got us the reorders, you know? I knew that I could sell them sitting right in front of them, but, you know, the real question was would it continue when I wasn't there,
1: and Yeah. It has. So again, you said it's only been a few months since yep. you've done all this, but there's this isn't This isn't it, right? There's much more going on right now. So let's let's talk about your push into retail. So you are you're on these Los Angeles delis. Uh, Of course, people listening outside of LA at the moment may think they can't try your products, but
2: actually they can. They can. (laughs) Uh, We we just actually uh, only a couple of weeks ago launched our online store where we're selling a one pound box, two and a half, five uh, different increments of cold. Thinly sliced, unreal corned beef right to your door anywhere in America.
1: And you still manufacture out of the the same kitchen? Or Actually, you... no.
2: Good question. So um, just another little point in the in the story. Uh, I had a meeting set up. This is back in January. Someone put me in touch. They said, oh, you're starting a food business. I know someone who has an $11 million ice cream business. I'm thinking to myself, well, it does not really connect. But I guess if I can meet a successful entrepreneur in the food world, I'll meet with them. So anyway, uh, this this woman CEO pushed off our meeting a couple of months. Finally, it was March before we could meet with each other. And I thought to myself, gee, now that it's March, I have real sales. I have real meetings coming up. I, I don't know that I need to sit down with this ice cream person, but she, it's an $11 million business. I'll go. I drive down 45 minutes to Culver City for a 30-minute meeting. We're sitting together. I'm asking her very generic general questions. How'd you build your business? What'd you do with your first financing? Whatever. At the very end of the meeting, I said to her, you know, I'm interested in growing in terms of my facility and finding a bakery. Because at first I thought I needed a meat co-packer, but then it dawned on me that the way my product is made, it's wet and dry ingredients that come together and get baked. So really a bakery is what can actually put this together. So the woman says to me of this meeting that otherwise would have been pretty futile, she said, The woman who makes my cookies, 30,000 cookies a day for ice cream sandwiches. She's got time in her. She's got a huge facility. Meet with her. Maybe she could be your next co-packer. And so for the last five months now, we've been growing a beautiful relationship, myself and this woman in Van Nuys with this huge industrial bakery, and they churn out um, thousands of pounds per week. So we went from this tiny kitchen to this much larger space.
1: Wow, that's like learning how to be a food entrepreneur as you go along. It's just yeah. obviously talk to whoever you can yes, and uh, and keep pushing ahead. I mean, that's literally the only way to do it. That's right. And, and to really
2: be a yes person, to, mm-hmm. to be open to new opportunities, whatever comes your way.
1: Because, of course, you had a good product because if you didn't have one, you wouldn't even have gotten started. Right. But some people start and stop there. They assume right. the rest of it, someone else is going to tell them how to do it. Yeah. And you've got to go... Searching for those answers. And and one thing eventually will lead to the next. And so, of course, you're selling it online now. So people can go to your website, which is unrealdeli.
2: unrealdeli.com.
1: But there's more, right? So you're also now, I saw the announcement that you're going to be in Whole Foods.
2: Yeah. So, so
1: let's just unpack that a little let's bit. Let's unpack how did, it. How did the meeting with Whole Foods happen? And okay, when did you first decide, okay, I'm ready to do more than what we're just doing now. I have this little business yeah. in mind. But maybe we should be in Whole Foods. Like right. how did you make that well, leap and who did you meet with? Um...
2: To be totally honest, uh, when things first started before I even had that initial little kitchen to rent, I took a sandwich and my three-year-old at the time and we went to my local Woodland Hills, California Whole Foods store and I asked for their team leader, their store manager and said, would you please taste the sandwich and let me know what you think? I mean, like, this is how from the ground up this was. I had a kid in my arms and a sandwich in my other hand and, uh, and I said, check it out. So Tony Welsh, the general manager of my local store, took a bite and he said, this is really good. I said, would you mind if I got a video of that? He's like, (laughs) I guess. So I took a reluctant, you know, reluctantly took a a video of him saying, this is really good. The flavor profile is good. All this. I said, would you... Introduce me to who I need to speak with to try and get this into your store. And he said, look, I'll give you the number to the regional office, but don't even set foot in there until you have your production at scale, your packaging, your numbers, your ability for growth. He's like, you got to get all your ducks lined up before you even reach out to those guys. I said, thank you very much. I took that business card. I put it in a very special place in my wallet. So fast forward several months later, um, I started sending emails to uh to these folks here at the regional office and as i learned because i wound up being invited to one of their supplier summits don't be dissuaded if they don't write back to you because that's typically the process for anyone who has any product in whole foods uh there's there's months of reaching out almost weekly and I had one contact there who every now and then would send me like three words and I'd live on those words for a month, you know, and then I got to a point, my husband was saying, why don't you get a little rough with her? Like not be as friendly in the next email, like get a little more, you know, I said, no, well, I want to stay nice a little longer. Okay. And, and it was good that I did because, uh, because I wound up, you know, at one point, just another circling back, yada, yada email. And, um, I mentioned before the podcast to you, Neil, that uh, that I had my third child, my first vegan baby back in June. And um, there's a, a line in the Talmud that says, Babies bring mazel, like mazel tov, like flow and luck and, and, and even success and, and money even. And so uh, it wasn't surprising knowing that because my baby was two days old. I was still all beaten up from having just had a baby. And I got a call from that Whole Foods representative saying, you know, I know that you initially wanted to get into the sandwich bar, but we're physically a little too tight on space at the bar. But I want to bring you into 58 stores in a pre-made sandwich working with our sandwich partner. And we're going to market the heck out of it. And We're going to make it great. And it's going to be all vegan. And we can't wait. And we love it. And it was a total dream come <laughs> true. I, I really was pinching myself for weeks after that and still kind of am. <laughs> wow, what a wonderful yeah. gift
1: to get. And yeah. so you get Whole Foods, which I've um, I've met many... Food entrepreneurs. I've met many startups who uh, that's their ultimate dream. Absolutely, uh, at mine least, too. And they start off. They're just like, yeah, one day we'll be in Whole Foods, sure. and then everything will just happen after that. Right. Um, <laughs> and to to hear back to the story of how you first showed up at Whole Foods with a sandwich. I mean, you don't. It's not. You don't hear those stories these days. These days in the plant-based food industry, it's all about a bunch of. Um, and you know not that not to undermine their stories but it's it's people looking at uh the landscape of meat dairy and right. eggs looking at data about where the opportunities right. are and where the possible growth is or yeah. and and then putting assembling a team of totally. highly talented people and then raising a few million dollars <laughs> right, right. just to develop a product yeah. uh, and then they de- develop a prototype and maybe they get into an accelerator and then uh then they find a few more investors and then they figure out how to make it uh, in some sort of a manufacturing uh, setting to scale it, and then they, you know, when they are sort of at that, you know, few, six, seven, eight, ten months in, perhaps they will get some sort of a distribution deal, and maybe eventually they'll end up in Whole Foods. So you've just found this your own path to this to meet this this fast-moving train. Yeah, you haven't just jumped on the bandwagon. You were just doing your thing. And have somehow managed to slip into the slipstream of what what is happening because you had the right product, the right attitude, and you went about not letting noes stop you. I mean, the very fact that you went to Whole Foods the first day with a sandwich and he was—it sounded like they were pretty clear that you were not ready. Right. Um, and you didn't let that stop you. You said, well, I'm going to go get ready now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to figure my, my stuff out and then I'll be back. Yes. <laughs> and, and that's yes. literally what happened. So yes. uh, I think it's a lesson for anyone considering entrepreneurship or even is in their own journey right now is that um, if you don't get used to, if you start seeing no's as just lessons versus rejection, absolutely, uh, you you don't know what you might be capable of doing. Yeah, Absolutely. So I think that's just an amazing part of your story. I, I'm, I'm just, I find this really entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I, I it find so it too. Unique. I
2: also look at the story and, uh, and, and I see how, how human and gritty and how from the ground up it all is. And it's the story that resonates with all of us because we're all here in this human experience, learning as we go. And especially for those of us that are, you know, interested in this plant-based world, and we know that this is the right side of history, the right thing to do. Um, it's i feel like there's there's extra room in this landscape for for us to come in with our unique stories and missions and abilities to to make our mark
1: so bringing it back to um to new york where uh deli jewish deli means really all began. yeah uh, when is this going to be of course you can if you're on the east coast you can order it online right. but yep. What is your? I know the Whole Foods thing is starting off in the in the in, Southern
2: Pacific stores, which is uh, from the mid to Southern California, Arizona, Southern Nevada, those 58 stores. But um, yeah, great question. When are we getting to New York City? We're coming. Uh, I have a, a partner there. I one day was cold calling uh deli distributors and i left a couple voicemails and the vice president of one of the companies excitedly called me back knowing this is the future of food and said let me try it let me try and sell it i sell to a bunch of distributors already and maybe we can get interest and so we have gotten interest there's a group called baldor foods a big distributor from boston down to dc they're gonna start carrying it soon i attended a food show with this individual i just mentioned from it's called nation's best deli meats uh when we attended this food show we we're able to share product and i got a lot of enthusiasm from a lot of other folks. And uh, And this part of our website that I'm mentioning at, that does retail boxes also now is capable of doing wholesale boxes as well. So uh, so we're going to be able to hit delis hopefully nationwide very imminently.
1: Again, just getting out there and getting it done. Yeah. It mm-hmm. just seems to be the theme over here with you. Um, and I know, okay, this is really early in your journey, but um, what are your ambitions? Like what, what, what do you want to see happen with unreal delhi firstly i love the name too it's just it's the i get there's so many opportunities to brand this also in a really unique way which has never been kind of done before everyone's kind of doing the same thing when it comes to plant-based meats and you're just you come in with this unique approach that i think in some ways is going to help you stand out because you're just you're just being yourself and i think that authenticity uh, leads to a very authentic brand that you can now do really interesting things with in the years ahead.
2: Thank you. Um, you know, off the bat, I want to just say uh, global corned beef domination. <laughs> uh, I, I really do want to bring this, uh, you know, create a global thing out of it. I also want to come up with other SKUs like a turkey, although I know there are turkeys out there, even better turkeys and uh, and and, and uh, other iterations. But um but I hope ultimately to be able to help other brands. I want to help give back to animals, animal sanctuaries, people who are helping animals. Um, and I want to just create awareness. I, I I really believe that, you know, we've all been kind of society has been hoodwinked to think that we need to consume, you know, animals at every meal. And uh, and I, I hope to be a part of of helping at least shed a little light, if not helping to slightly maybe reeducate some of the population that uh, that if you think eating a plant-based diet is limiting about the... Eighteen thousand edible plants and grains and seeds and herbs and fruits and vegetables uh, that are out there and in
1: terms of we didn't talk about this in the beginning, but um, one of the questions i'm sure listeners are prob- probably have as they hear your incredible story is we how have you been funding
2: this? yeah, so um fortunately we've had some revenues which have helped fund it but but we I, d- I did start off personally funding about 20 grand to get this all off the ground and thankfully that's all it's required thus far now that we have our online store we're talking about putting some slightly more aggressive dollars into marketing and that's going to be a little bit more of a capital outlay but should return um pretty imminently so uh yeah there's a little bit of a dance there with a little personal investments and then uh and then some actual revenues that have come in
1: which is again i think uh, another important lesson because um Everyone thinks that there is a bit of a blueprint to follow when you're launching a food business. Mm -hmm. I kind of joked about it, about, you know, you put together a founder, you you raise a few millions. Uh, And yes, that's one way to do it, for sure. And I Mm -hmm. think for some products that that you're trying to, that that can't be made in the kitchen like the way you made yours, uh, you possibly have to raise millions before you can even get a possible prototype product developed. But in your case, because you already had a prototype product and it, you had figured out someone who could help you manufacture it, yeah. uh, you could have easily, and maybe perhaps you even tried the route of trying to raise some money because then, because everyone thinks, well, I have a product. Now, if I raise some money, I can do a lot of marketing. People will hear about me. Yeah. And then next thing you know, people will start buying my product. Sure. And in the sounds like in the absence of outside investors in the beginning with uh, with your own money on the line... The only other option is to then, you know, start making money.
2: <laughs> right, right, And exactly. so
1: it's, it's sometimes, you know, uh, and again, it's not for every food business, but it works for some, yeah. is that uh, your constraints become your strengths. That's right. And so you possibly would have never bothered hustling and going to, to delis in, in L.A., try to get them to carry your products if you had like an investor who handed you a five million dollar check and said let's go with this master strategy and you'll launch in like a year and a half from now
2: i'm sure that you're right um yeah uh, you know starting from with with your own money uh, you're very conservative how you how you work the that spending uh back in march i was invited to attend a plant-based investor brunch uh it's incredible because you know We know how compelling this industry is, but there's a lot of money behind realizing how compelling this industry is. And there are a lot of plant-based investors out there. And, uh, you know, there was the thought of taking on some early capital and I, you know, molded over and spoke with, you know, advisors of mine. And what we wound up concluding was, let me take the ball down the field a few more yards, you know, and, and see if I can prove this thing even more, if we can generate some real revenues on our own. And then certainly you'd be able to defend a much higher valuation at that point.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, not to say that you can't take investors down the line, but then you're taking investors, one, at a higher valuation. But secondly, uh, to put in money to develop new SKUs, to mm-hmm. possibly invest in marketing, right. uh, to build your e-commerce capabilities, to build your sales team, to, to hire some people
2: yeah.
1: uh, versus it sounds like your first few months, you were pretty much on your own.
2: Yeah, very much on my own in sweatpants upstairs <laughs> in my house. <laughs> uh,
1: which, again, you know, I, I still can't believe this is the 2019 story because right. it's, yeah. it seems like stuff people were doing uh, 10 years ago, and 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 were just showing up at VegFest, and that's as far as they got. Right. But the difference is now, yeah, you can still you can still be in your kitchen and come up with something really unique, find. Um, an untapped market and then go out there on your own and try to get it done. And and you never know where you can land up. Well, in Whole Foods, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) With uh, Bill Zacharias, (laughs) apparently. And then on this podcast, right? Uh So, so far, it sounds like you've done everything out of the box and have still managed to keep moving forward because, and I think, again, it sounds like I'm repeating myself, but because what I hear from you is your mantra is to just keep doing Yes. Keep finding a way. So what drives you? Like what is the the mission driving you to and, and yes, you said you want to get people to eat more plant based food, yeah. but every morning when you wake up and days when you, you probably doubted yourself in the early sure. days, and yes, you still have a long, long, long way to go. Long way. Right. We're not saying you've you've reached the pinnacle just because you're on Whole Foods. I think it's just the start. Absolutely. There's much more interesting stuff to come. What drives you every morning when you wake up?
2: just knowing that, you know, one little email can make a huge thing happen. Like, you know, we're now in touch with a, with a, a, a Subway, not, not Subway, but a sub chain, not, not actually Subway they're taking on beyond Meat, but, but at one of the large sub chains. And that's just, I sent one cold email on LinkedIn. And this industry is so hot right now that just like the littlest message can result in, you know, a, a huge, huge outcome. And, uh, you know, certainly the animals is still, you know, forefront of my mind. In fact, I, I don't know, pride myself or maybe this sounds like a dark part of myself, but I literally watch still every single video that crosses my newsfeed from Mercy for Animals or whatever it may be, of the friends that post it that, you know, of, of of animal suffering and farms and all the rest because, you know, I wanna be able to bear testimony. I don't I know that the masses cannot handle this kind of footage. I mean maybe those of us listening to this podcast here that are part of this production here can, but but for most people they can't, and I feel like we need to bear testimony, we need to be able to Explain to the rest of the world: This is not okay, and and what is okay? What can we eat? How should we go? What is the right direction? So, that motivates me quite a lot.
1: And that's an important thing too. Which uh, again, it explains a lot of what you're doing and what you have done. Is uh, you did it because you want to do it, not because you you kind of you, you didn't you were not you didn't have investors breathing down your that's neck right. saying we've given you a big check. Right. Uh, you got up every day because. If, if you weren't doing this you you would probably be doing this even if it wasn't working yeah. right you were moved, you were compelled and, and inspired to start your your blog and your youtube channel right. um because you felt like you you had a voice that people needed to hear and and now you have a medium through which to get that voice out there And it is it is a food company which is um which is really really exciting i think you've you've given me so many tips and I'm sure' someone listening who is who has ever thought about doing something on their own it doesn't have to be launching a food business right. it it could be writing a book it could be you know launching a i don't know a, a podcast even right. whatever it could be sure. you've you've already given them enough tips that they can they can basically take that first step, which is the most important thing. As you just said, you can send one email and it could change your life. Yep. You could send not one LinkedIn message right. and it could suddenly change everything that you've been working towards. Right. What other tips would you give someone who is just getting started, who wants to catch up to where you are right now, less okay. than a year in?
2: Yeah, Um so I would say, you know, like th- this whole notion of putting out the messy version, not being, you know, so focused on perfection and, and really caring about, you know, people's feedback and also what are like the needs of the people, you know, uh, you know, where's like the, where's like the pain point, where's the hurt. So, you know, from those of us that are in this plant-based universe, of course, the hurt is on the farms every single day, 50 million times a day in this country, whatever. But, but that, that the hurt is also in people not really being ready to hop on this whole diet trend because they don't there there are gaps in terms of what they want to eat and what they think, you know, is delicious and what they think is out there so kind of figuring out like, what are the, where are those gaps? And, you know, I was at a party just recently and a woman came up to me and she's like, I make the best vegan, uh, cotija cheese. I said, that's, in, she's Mexican. And, and I, I said to her, I'll, I'll be happy to mentor you a little bit on the side here and there. Cause I feel like so many people generously open themselves to, to sharing consulting and mentorship with me. So, you know, but there are so many pieces of this puzzle of, of food and culture, you know, food is such a personal thing that, uh, that, that are that are still yet to be uncovered in the plant based world, and and they're coming.
1: Again, it's back to just follow what you think is right for you, and where you you think your strengths can be best uh, realized and yeah. useful, and and then you know, seek help where you can, which sounds like you've also done.
2: Yeah. And also to share it with like the, the people who are closest. So for that woman with her cotija cheese, I would certainly say, you know, I'd say to her, you know, go to the taco joints around town, go to those Mexican cantinas, you know, and see, do they, do they think it's just as good? Like that was my mission, you know, with my Jewish deli scene. And I, uh, if it's, it could sit side by side there, then I figured it could go anywhere. And so too with, with any other, uh, you know, ethnic or yeah. you know, specific kind of a product.
1: Yeah, and I hope this is starting. You're going to start a new trend of people doing that, I'm saying that you know, it, because the the big food brands, even the big food, plant based food startups, um, aren't necessarily going to go with that approach. They're going to go straight into retail distribution. They're going to try to mm-hmm. get the big uh, fast food chains. Um, but you can you can also now come at it from a local, very uh, you know, targeted manner.
2: Yeah. And everybody loves a good story. So, yeah. you know, like now we're working with a with a sandwich chain that has like 30 locations here in Los Angeles and also in Texas and uh, we're going to be launching there in, in January and I didn't quite realize because I figured this sandwich chain is already such a cool brand. They're doing such good stuff but, but when and now i'm in touch with the marketing person and they're like we want your photos we want your logo we want to know your whole story i'm thinking to myself you guys have the story you want my story so it's like yeah because everybody's interested in a good story and if you do it from the ground up and you do it with your own gritty two hands like people love that much more mm-hmm. than they love we got fat money we built a big office no do it yeah. yourself
1: also, it is, uh, and I guess that's just possible in 2019 because the new consumer really relates to that. They want to sure. connect with someone who's human, who has who has a real personal story to share versus some nameless, faceless corporation with a logo slapped on their product that exactly. looks like every other logo and every other package that exists out there. You
2: got it. I even had a meeting at uh, Cisco with the largest food distributor in the world not long ago. And uh, and their their VP who doesn't... Touched probably a, a thing of plant based himself said to me, It's really great that this is coming from someone like yourself and not from some executive at Tyson, he said to me. You know, <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, if Cisco's telling me that, then certainly this holds true across the board.
1: And so. it's really heartening to hear that, that that's how some of the chains that you've been talking to, some of the distributors you've been talking to, that's how they approach what you're doing because. And I think it's an important thing for investors to listen to also is because I think with some of the early success we've seen from some big uh, plant-based food startups, a lot of investors have fallen into a pattern of thinking that's the only way to do it. So as much as the entrepreneurs themselves are guilty of just all following the same playbook, investors think well everything has to be the same mm-hmm. because this is just just kind of but there won't be a mainstream appeal to this for right. some right. it may lead some people to believe that that's the case but what people are missing is that even the big food companies even the Tysons even the sandwich chains the big fast food companies yeah. they all are trying their best now to be more authentic and relatable so mm-hmm. while they can't so automatically turn a new leaf and be that they can bring in some of those flavors so for example the fact that you even mentioned that that you, when you got into Cantors, they featured you and when you enter canter they they have your name up there right and they yeah. actually can go out of their way to promote your sandwich which so is on the they, menu they didn't have to do that and i'm assuming you didn't ask them to do I that i didn't ask them to do that so that to me just tells you that um You know, sometimes I think the people are the front lines who are trying who have the final touch point with the consumer Mm -hmm. or their customers understand that they need to provide something new, refreshing, and something that becomes sort of a talking point for their customers. That's
2: right, yeah. And, uh, I mean, even Mark Cantor has now had like a couple of different interviews that he's gotten to do because of this, because he's, you know, willing to adapt to the new wave. And, uh, I mean, as is probably widely known that, you know, Burger King uh, now has like 17%, you know, higher foot traffic now since bringing on the Impossible Whopper. So, you know, there's there's new folks that are going to come into these establishments now once they start... uh, changing and, and growing in this direction
1: yeah and how much do you think has it helped you that your product is um i wouldn't say it's i would i don't want to use the word um easy but it's simpler to make i'm assuming than what than someone who's uh sort of engineered some plant right. proteins in a exactly in, a, fact, in well, a lab
2: i will say that uh that I think people like the fact that the ingredients are all pronounceable, that, that we, we, we you can read the label and you don't need a, a, a chemical engineering degree to be able to decipher what's going on there. And not that I don't eat my fair share of Beyond Burgers. I have three little children and tons of them. Plenty are sitting in this refrigerator right here. But – but uh, it's it's nice to know that you can look at this label and, and, and understand what's in it.
1: It's also, and you, I think you highlighted another point, which is that it's made with things you can find in your kitchen, yes. so it is not uh, a scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not scary. Which is another a trend. People want to know what's in their food, That's and right. um, and not to say that everything that is um, that is processed. Every all food is processed in that sense, unless you're directly picking vegetables mm-hmm. and eating it. That's right. Um, so. That's not the issue. It's really about if people feel comfortable that these are things that they recognize. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like when it comes to your products, that's definitely the case. Yes. Uh, where do you think you're going to be this time of the year next year in terms of your business?
2: It's so exciting. to dream. Uh, my husband and I, uh, several months back, sat and said to ourselves, where could this be? And we started naming all these different possible venues. And then we said, really, it's, it's anywhere that a mouth winds up that, <laughs> that people will have an appetite. Um, I'd like to see us in the stadiums. Uh, I'd like to see this in some real large chains. I'd like to see some new SKUs coming out. I'd like to see a larger company with more than just myself and a couple of other, you know, some more serious hands on deck. Um, I, I feel like once you can start to envision things, you can you can really make things come together. And I'm, I'm starting to, to piece that, that vision together now.
1: Yeah. And um – let's look ahead if you look um you know we need to urgently change our food system yeah. we um you know your kids i'm sure when you think about the future and the world that they're gonna grow up in yeah. uh if you really read the science and you look at what's happening with um our planet um human health you mm-hmm. look at look at the, the billions of animals that are in factory farms yes uh that's I'm sure what inspires you to wake up every day and do what you're doing. And it definitely inspires me. Uh, if, and when I wouldn't say if, when you succeed and when um, plant-based food is, is the norm and it is, it is the default in most yeah. cases. Um, what do you envision that future in the year, say 2050, I give that a year because we'll be 10 billion people on the planet and um, your, your kids will be adults. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what kind of future and a food system do you envision for them? What future would you like to create for them?
2: Well, I have a little bit of um, I have I have some some spiritual beliefs that'll that'll accompany this answer because uh, it actually states in some in some ancient Jewish scripture that uh, that there will come a day when the lion will lay with the lamb and and it goes on to stating uh, a number of other animals that will just be at peace with one another. So uh, my belief system is that. We will be, you know, slowly coming to a state of perfecting this world uh, to the point that eating of a plant-based diet is going to be a given, and that to the point that as lofty and, and, and maybe even crazy as it may sound, that even the animal system will will come to a point that they that one doesn't need to eat the other in order to sustain itself. But at the very least, that we, uh, who really are herbivores, uh, the way our teeth are shaped and the way our digestive system works, that that certainly we will be able to to eat from the fat of the land and we won't need to, uh, do all the crazy things we're doing now to pillage the land and grow seed, could feed people instead feeding these animals and, you know, getting the, 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 you know, all the disease that comes from this. So, uh, so I, I, definitely see a, a shift taking place and, uh, and I, I do believe this 2050 number is, uh, is not such a lofty goal. It's, I think we're going there.
1: Well, thank you, Jenny. Thank you for not stopping and for thank keep you. doing what you're doing. I can't uh, wait to see how this uh, unique story evolves in the next few months and years ahead. Uh, and I can't. And I, everyone who is listening, needs to try one of your sandwiches, uh, which will be in Whole Foods soon. But of course, you can still order it online, so you can make it at home. But thank you, Jenny. This has been <laughs> it's been so much fun to hear your journey so far and I and I I think it's it's if you if you go you go at the rate you're going right now, uh, I think we can achieve that that vision that you're talking about way before twenty fifty.
2: Yes, amen. And thank you Nil for doing what you're doing, leaving your your comfortable lawyer job to get on the front lines right here. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.